You're listening to WGSN DB, Going Solo Network, Singles Talk Radio Channel, where we take a lighthearted and candid approach to discussions on the journey of relationship loss, divorce, parenting, being single, relationships building, dating, and yes, sex. Join our listeners and begin living your best life. Welcome to the WGSN DB Going Solo Network, Going Solo Veterans Corner with host and author, retired Army First Sergeant Paul Holbert from Northern Virginia. Paul connects with U.S. veterans worldwide, sharing their experiences, how they've made the adjustment back to civilian life, what they are doing now to make a difference in their new lives and their communities. Along with various guests, Paul and the Going Solo Veterans Corner will be at the pulse of veterans' happenings, creating awareness for veterans worldwide as to laws, veterans' rights, benefits, and programs. Now, let's join Paul. All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the WGSN-DB Going Solo Network's Veterans Corner. And I am your host, retired Army First Sergeant and author Paul Holbert, still coming to you live from Northern Virginia. As you know, our program highlights veterans around the country, their careers, their transitions, and what they're doing within their communities. Before we get to our guests, let me just take a moment to thank our sponsor, Quest Jewelers of Merrifield, Virginia. Whether you're looking for a fine piece of jewelry or a custom piece for that special someone, Quest Jewelers can make it for you. So stop by and visit them if you're in the area. And if not, go to questjewelers.com and see what they have to offer. So thank you to Quest Jewelers for sponsoring our show for veterans. All right, I'd like to take a minute to introduce our guest this evening. Let's meet tonight Michael Ferrari. Mike is a retired Navy lieutenant who actually began his career as an enlisted sailor and served as an aviation maintenance duty officer and technical manager, which included some support of Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm in 1991. Finally, after retiring, Michael went to work for Boeing Commercial and currently works for the federal government for an aviation organization. Mike is also an honor graduate of the professional aeronautics from Ember, uh, professional aeronautics from Embry Riddle Aeronautical University. So, welcome to the program, Mike. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's 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 good to have you on because you got a little different perspective uh, this evening, and you know, especially, and we'll talk about that a little bit the way you you. Uh, progressed your career, but I, I understand that you know something prompted you in particular to join the military um, and, and as a young high school impressionable high school person you know why don't you share that with us what was it that drew you to the Navy actually it, it all happened when I was in high school in junior year as a 16 year old uh, I'm still trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life and one day a uh, this really sharp looking marine came in the classroom uh, he was a uh, staff sergeant, and he was he gave a pitch about aviation and uh, and how much he enjoyed being in the military and working around jets and uh, how exciting it was. And that kind of gave me the impetus right there. I mean, I started to get really enthused, and in fact, I was so enthused that uh, 
I went down to the local recruiting station here in the Bronx, in New York. <laughs> I was only 16 at the time, and, and just kind of reach out and see what what what, what can I, I do. And he said, "Yeah, you could join." Uh, 17. Well, we will come over and we'll uh, we'll uh, get your permission from your parents and we'll set you up. So that's pretty much what did it. And uh, from there, 21 years later, I went through a whole career. Wonderful yeah, so, career. Yeah, and you know what? Something else that I think is a little unique about you is that, um, um, you know, I think you said you mentioned that you wanted to be a pilot at one time, right? I did. That was that was my dream. That was that was the road I wanted to take. But uh, you know, as things were happening at my young age, um, I wanted to get up and go. You know, yeah. To become a pilot, I would have had to go to four years of college, and I remember wasn't ready for that yet. So I wanted to get out. I wanted to get out, and I wanted to be a mechanic. You know, I wanted to work on the jets, and that's what I did. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, I knew a number of young guys that went into the Army who wanted to fly instead of, you know, of course, Army doesn't have a lot of fixed wing. But so instead of having to go to college, a number of them went to warrant officer school and started flying helicopters. So, you know, they were uh, they were a unique breed within themselves because I had a tour in 2nd Aviation Battalion in Korea in 2nd Infantry Division. And I have to tell you, some of the helicopter pilots that I saw there were some unique characters as well. Just just as bad as some of the, I'm sure, some of the jet jockeys that you probably ran into. <laughs> well, you know, as, as it happens, you know, I spent my whole career around helicopters. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to start off jets, but when, when, I, when I went to my first assignment, after my first assignment, they sent me to a helicopter squadron with 22 H-53s on the flight line, one of the biggest at the time. And uh, once I started working on those H-53s, I never left. Yeah. So you were hooked in, right? I was. I was. It's a fascinating helicopter. Very, very intense to keep in the air. Challenged. It's one. It's the highest, uh, let's say, the highest, what they say, man hour to flight hour. Uh, aircraft, and it's, it is the largest helicopter in the air, the Navy's uh, fleet of aircraft. So, and yeah, I, know, I, um, loved it. I loved the people that were working on it, the people that were flying it, and uh, I transitioned to all the models while I was, you know, while I was in the Navy. It was just a joy. Well, I know uh, my wife and I, one of one of the young ones, uh, he spent five years in the Marines, and was an aviation mechanic as well and actually worked on Ospreys in addition to some of the helicopters. And yeah. I know he seemed to seem to do well how he, while he was there, but you know, he made the decision to, to get out and go to college. And so now he's doing well, but you know, he was in, he was in uh, Marine Corps aviation on helicopters and Ospreys for about five years. Um, so you, you, you did that. Let's talk a little bit. What, how did you make that transition from an enlisted sailor to commission? How did, how did that come about? Well, I, you know, it came about, it started in boot camp. You know, when I went to boot camp, the Great Lakes, I was, um, I was in a special company, one of those big companies that do the rifles, you know, and it, you know, it was pretty intensive, intensive training. You know, there was a lot of study and a lot of the guys just, you know, couldn't do well. You know what I mean? So I, I, I would do tutoring at night, right in boot camp. We would tutor, you know, there's a lot of tests when you're in boot camp. Yeah. 
that wind up being uh, my first start as, in some kind of like a leadership role, you know. And at the end, they, they had nominated me as the master at arms for the company, which is like, you know, the guy other than the company commander in front. He's, a, he's his right-hand man. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I went to, uh, I went to uh, school, you know, to learn how to work on engines. And from there, I, I did really well. Uh, I became top of my class, and then I got promoted, you know, to E4. So it was kind of the beginning of that development. Yeah. And all throughout my career, I was doing that, you know, working around that aircraft. I found opportunity working with my, with my colleagues and my shipmates, you know, working and learning from each other. And little by little, I was advancing, you know. So I made it up to first class in four years. And then the next two years, the next thing I know, I'm in the window for chief petty officer. And I made chief petty officer. And then as, as a chief, you know, you're working with everybody, you know, yeah. you're working with everybody, you're working with the younger shipmates, men and women, you work in training your division officer. And that's when I said, okay, it's time for me to make the jump. Hmm. You know, okay. jump over to, uh, to the, uh, what they call the Mustang. Yeah. You know, in the Navy, a Mustang, you, you, you differentiate a Mustang from a, from a, uh, a Navy officer because we worked our way up through the ranks. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a very respectful, very dignified organization. And that, that's what did it. You know, and once hmm. I got there, now I was in, now I was where I wanted to be. You know, and my goal... My dream when I was a young child, uh, and when I started off, was to put those lieutenant bars on. That yeah. was the dream. You know, I couldn't make the flight side, but I did it another way. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it and it was uh, it was a great, great, great um, accomplishment. You know, that's that's uh, that's good because I, I actually, I mean, I served with a number of officers who were enlisted before. And I actually considered making the jump um, on my first tour in Korea when I was a young soldier. Uh, took all the tests, did everything. And because I was in, started off my career in field artillery, which was a critical need for the Army, um, when I got ready to submit my packet, I was told by the arm, I mean, the artillery branch that I probably would not have any option that I would be commissioned as an artillery officer. And thinking about spending a career in the Army, at that point, at that time, I looked at it and I says, oh, gosh, yeah, I really don't want to spend the next 19 or 20 years as an artillery officer. Um, so I, you know, it worked out well for me. I decided not to go. And, you know, I did very well and finished as a first sergeant and enjoyed my career. So, you know, my, my hat's off to you, though, for making that jump. And, you know, I know it took a lot to do. It took a lot of effort. And uh, you know, I'm sure that you were you were proud of it once you were finished. It, it takes a lot of effort, but really, it was the the men and women, the listed men and women, the, the officers that supported me. You know, yeah. I didn't do it alone. Yeah, I, you have you cannot do nothing alone today. Yeah, to achieve those goals, you, you know, and it was those. It was that inspiration from many of the officers, the maintenance officers, commanding officers, executive officers, that saw my, my just my thirst, you know, my, my eagerness to achieve the goal. They saw it, 
and then they enabled it. Yeah, I mean, that, that camaraderie that you get from that time in the military, you know, I definitely know what you're talking about because you rely so you rely so much on each other, you know, that you 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 know that whatever you're doing is not on your own. And you know that you're going to definitely be relying on everyone else. So, um, you know, like I said, I know that was a big accomplishment for you. OK, so let's well, Mike, um, you know, talking about your military career, can you tell me what what do you think was one of your one of your favorite assignments that you had? Without question, the best assignment when I was the um, when I was in charge of the maintenance and material of the squadron in Sicily or squadron okay. um, eight aircraft. We were what they call forward deployed in uh, yeah. in Sicily, supporting the aircraft carrier battle group. And that was challenging, you know, keeping those aircraft ready at any moment to be overhead to deliver the needed supplies for that battle group. And we weren't just in one place. We were in many different places. You know, usually you would go out with two aircraft with a team of mechanics and support staff. But setting all the logistics up, making sure they had all the parts, you know, making sure that those aircraft stayed operational ready because you don't want to miss what they call an overhead on that ship because we are we have what they call a very big footprint. Yeah. So we got to just land on that aircraft carrier, unload and get off. Right. So it's a very, very critical mission. But the camaraderie in that squadron that those people put their hearts and souls into every day coming in to make that mission was absolutely the highlight of my career. Mm. And it inspired me, inspired me to what I'm doing today, which with the vets, you know, yeah. it was my lesson learned for paying it forward now. Yeah. Because I had to be supported by 300 somewhat maintenance personnel. 20 or so E7 through E9s and a whole wardroom, what they call a whole wardroom of pilots and all, keeping those, making sure they were safe, making sure those aircraft were safe and ready for them at any moment. And we did it successfully for four years that I was there without any mishaps. And that is really, really tough. Hmm. Yeah, especially I'm sure for on, an, on a carrier or on ships like that with aviation. Yeah, I'm sure that was a big accomplishment. What, um, you know, you, you spent, what, 20, 21 years in, right? You retired. Yep. And so what, what was it that kind of, what, what was it that kind of told you it was time to leave the service? What prompted you to, to make that jump into retirement? You know, I was in Italy. I had been in Italy for almost 10 years. I did a assignment in Naples, Italy for four during the Persian Gulf War and um, and then in Sicily. And, you know, I had achieved everything and I, I wanted to to get out into the civilian world and I wanted to make make that move in, in Italy. And it was really hard for me to do that where I was in my career because my next my next assignment would most almost have definitely have been an aircraft carrier. So you mm -hmm. see how that wheel turned. You know, I yeah. came in the beginning and I want to go and, and be aboard the aircraft carrier in a, in a uh, carrier aircraft group. And then 
I said, you know, I had to make that, that, that life choice, you know, and it was, it was, was it, you know, family and, and career or, you know, or moving around, you know, because in the Navy, you move around, you're moving around, you're separated. It's a tough, tough life. And I had been separated during that 21 years with my family. So I decided I had done, I had done everything I, I planned to do. I got my degree. The Navy was, had been wonderful to me. I was ready to go. And I was at a good age. I was only 38. So I was pretty young. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, you were. So I was pretty willing to make the move, and I was what I thought was uh, marketable. Let's say, I had the skills, had the skill sets, I had the language because I speak Italian. And as you'll see, you'll see what happened you know, as you see in my in my resume. What happened after that, which was really interesting. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you have to know, you know, what they say. You got to know when to fold the cards, so to speak, and uh, you know. Yeah, I it's the I love the Navy. It was very hard for me to do that. Well, you know, you think about it and you look at it and you say, am I ready to make that change? You know, give the, give all this up because I, you know, I went through those same things uh, as a first sergeant. And one thing that helped push me along was I tore a knee playing Frisbee football with my soldiers one morning at the company when I was a first sergeant. I had to have knee surgery. And that kind of was a driving force behind my decision to retire. You know, I had made it to the, to the rank of first sergeant and I was happy, enjoyed what I was doing. But, you know, with the damage to my knee, I said, yeah, you know, maybe it's it's time to make that change. You know, so yeah, I can I can definitely understand when you look at it, and you weigh everything and you say, yeah, when when is it time to go? When is it right for me? Well, you know, if, if you had some veterans here on the show, you know, what, what piece of advice would you give to them if they're, if they're thinking about retirement or if they're thinking about transitioning, what would you share with them? Well, you know, the most important thing is number one, keep, keep uh, track of all your records, all your training, okay, all your skill sets, and then Transfer those over. Find a way to, and the Navy will do that for you. They'll help you. Transfer those skill sets over to the civilian market. But the biggest thing is planning, preparation. You know, you know you're going to get out. You've made that decision. Start putting together your plan. Start putting together your resume. Start, start looking at what transfers over into what you want to do. And build your resume, build those cover letters that you're going to send out to the prospective employers. And be yeah. ready. As soon as you get out, start going to those career fairs. Start putting those resumes out into the market. You know, it's all okay. preparation. I, I planned yeah. my whole transition, and I went to the training that they offer you, that the Navy offers. But it was putting together all of my evaluations, all of my performance reports chronologically, all evidence of all the training that I've had and to put that all into a nice kind of like uh, record. Yeah. Chronologically so that I can refer to it when I was putting together my resume for whatever, whatever particular position I was applying for. That was very, yeah. very important. Yeah. So I know, I know you, you spent some time working for, uh, for Boeing and then uh, from Boeing, you moved to, a federal uh, aviation organizations, which is, you know, what you're still doing now. Uh, so when you think about that, how close are you to retiring again now? I right now, great question, Paul. 
I have my right now. I'm looking at eight years. Oh, eight more years to go, and only because, you know, I spent a lot of time in Italy with the Navy, and I was with Boeing for ten years over there. So, Italy is where my mom and dad came from. Yeah, Italy is where my mom and dad immigrated from. Italy is where my son and daughter are right now. Hmm. And I do have a home there. I did purchase a small little home, and my plan, if God willing. And I can keep my health. Is I want to go back and live there in my in yeah. my final years. That's that's my dream. Ah, okay. All right. So you're you're planning that out as you know as I'm sure a number of us are still looking at that retirement again, ready to go sit on the beach and enjoy I, I, life. I, 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 it's <laughs> gonna be hard to be to retire. I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you. You know what? I already my plan is it's not really retiring. I want to teach. Okay. Yeah, I, All right. I got my master's degree. Uh, two years ago, and I want to teach the youngins on how about aviation. I want, want to teach them um, what I did as a young man when I was in that high school. In fact, I'm a, actually I'm a what they call a STEM outreach representative for my agency, which is going out and doing outreach to all the schools. Yeah, from K to 12, and and starting at that K isn't too early. Yeah. To get them interested in an aviation career, because I'm a living example. If you put your heart in it, into something that you love, truly love, success is going to follow. It's inevitable. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And we're gonna we're gonna take our commercial break here in just a few seconds, and then we'll come back and talk some more with Michael right after the break. So please stand by and bear with us. Are you looking for that special gift that will tell the one you love just how you feel without having to say a word? There's one place you're sure to find what you want. Quest Jewelers in Maryfield, Virginia. Whether your goal is to make a big splash for that special occasion or a simple reminder of how you feel, Quest has what you need to make it happen. Owners Pete and Wan Tain bring over 20 years of experience and customer service to make your purchase unforgettable. See what they can do for you at Quest Jewelers. That's www.questjewelers.com or call them at 877-660-0826. All right. Welcome back. And this is Paul Holbert again. And you're watching the WGSNDB Going Solo Network Radio Veterans Corner. And again, we're here with our guest tonight, Mike Ferrari, a retired Navy veteran. Mike, we've been talking a little bit about your, you know, about your Navy career, what you've been doing since you retired and, you know, your your retirement aspirations. But, you know, I'd like to spend the second half of the show talking about a couple of things I know that are near and dear to your heart. You were talking about trying to, you know, wanting to give back, you know, wanting to help veterans and give back to veterans for all the things that, that your, your fellow veterans did with you while you were in the military. And I know one of the programs that's really near and dear to you is a program that you work with called Healing Our Heroes. And I believe it's it's in the tri-state area up in New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. Um, but it's a music program that, that they use that provides um, some counseling and, and help to veterans who are struggling with various issues from their service. So can you share, share a little bit about that with us? It, it is. It's a wonderful program that we have here in New York. It's run by the um, Music Conservatory in Westchester. And we, uh, we have a group of our veterans. All of us are from all the ser different services. All of, uh, most of them, almost all of them, have some underlying condition 
uh, from the war war that they have participated in, namely Vietnam. Uh, we have a uh, World War II veteran, actually, uh, and um, we're all for the different services. And it's it gives us it's a way for us to deal with those types of conditions where you suffer through stress, anxiety, uh, loneliness. Um, lack of self-worth, you know, a lot of the things that veterans sometimes suffer from. And we, we uh, resolve those stresses and those, and those feelings through music. And we, and we play and we meet and we talk and we share and we play and we play beautiful music together. <laughs> Not enough to be on a stage yet, yeah. but enough to where we can feed off of each other like a music group does and, you know, do our solos and, and play together. We have performances occasionally, usually twice a year we'll perform. It's just a wonderful program uh, through music, and it works. I mean, this is something that the VA sponsors. It's something that the VA uh, endorses and, and um, embraces for therapy. Yeah, It's extremely effective. And... Um, and I want to make it available to our veterans out there, let them know that there is a program at each of the veteran hospitals. I'm, gonna, I'm sure we'll mention it here shortly. This particular program, the, the music therapy, is pretty much focal, uh, localized here in New York. But the live music tutor, that program is throughout the country. It is a program that helps vets through music, dealing with stress, depression, the COVID-19 now, and just just give them a chance to, to play maybe an instrument they've always dreamed to play by using the technology that we have today, through like we're doing now, through Zoom, mm -hmm. through private instruction. It is extremely uh, reasonable. Um, uh, there's really minimal, what I understand, minimal costs involved. It's VA, VA endorsed, so very, very good. I, I really encourage all of them, all of them out there that are listening, I hope, to look at that website. Go check it out and, 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 and go ahead and fulfill your dream to play an instrument. I never thought that I'd play the saxophone. It was a dream for me. I play the saxophone now, which is incredible. Uh. So, and, and I met this, I met these, these people in this conservatory and live music tutor, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ted he, who's a, who's a veteran as well, who runs it. Wonderful man, wonderful program. Please take the time and look into it. I don't think you'll regret it, not one moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I've often told my wife, I wish I could play the guitar like Angus Young. <laughs> I've always wanted to play the guitar, but you know, well, I've never taken the time to do it. it I gave it uh, another way. There's no excuse now to pick, write, to pick up the pen, write, to go ahead and go to that website. <laughs> Well, can you can you tell it? Take a minute and tell us, Mike, or tell tell our audience how how do they get into the program? What's the process? Just very briefly, what well, is that? The main thing is is if they if they feel like they are suffering from something, I would absolutely go to their VA or their their assigned doctor and speak to the VA. Uh, typically, it's the uh, they have a therapist. Every VA hospital clinic has an has a therapist there, and they actually have music therapists there as well. Yeah. And get that endorsement, get that recommendation, and then they will put you in contact, typically, 
if there's already a group that's being organized within the VA, or if they can help you organize it online. Live Music Tutor is the way to go. They're like the vehicle. The Live Music Tutor is the vehicle to hook up the, um, the VA, the, the veteran, with either the instructor, finding the instructor, or maybe put them in a group, and they could do it in a group, say, once or twice a week at the VA. You know, at the VA or at a VA-sponsored location, perhaps. Oh, okay. It's really yeah, it, doable, it's really reachable, and it, you know, it's just a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of the veterans don't know about it. Yeah, I mean, because I had never heard of it before until you introduced me to the to the information as well. And, you know, I had dealt with some of those same things myself and still them. And, you know, I had never heard of it either until you introduced the information to me. So that's why I think it, it is important to get the word out to the veterans. And so so how, how far along are you on the saxophone now? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I can play pretty good. Now, uh, you know, I'm working on now uh, impro improvisation, you know, and, and yeah. make it and creating my own music, so to speak, you know. But I oh, can okay. play. If you give me a sheet of music, I can play it. Oh. And I, that wasn't a, I wasn't able to do that a few years ago. Well, it's, actually a passion. it's actually a passion for me. One of my dreams is to play like, you know, a, like a Kenny G or a John Coltrane. But I, <laughs> I, I would have had thought it when I was like five years old to do that. So. Yeah, we, we all have those delusions of grandeur sometimes, don't we? <laughs> I started at 50, so it's not easy to uh, yeah. learn to play an instrument after 50 years old. Well, you know, I tried to I tried to play a trombone when I was early junior high, and I just could not get to where I could read the music fast enough or well enough. And of course, I made the transition from trying to play the trombone to spending the rest of my school time playing football. So I, I, I could do that very easily, but I never could catch on to the music. <laughs> I, know, I know the feeling, believe you me. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, you know, that's an outstanding program. And of course, uh, you know, we have the website up on our screen and I believe we're going to have a few more pictures on the website too, once we're finished. Um, Great. So um, that should be up on the website in the recording of the show as well. Um, but I know there's another, there's another program that you're really into that you kind of, I don't want to say backed into, but you kind of, I think, fell into it not unexpectedly, I think, and that's the voluntary health program, the doctor's program that does eye surgery to needy patients. So would you share a little bit about that with us? Of course. So I went, my mom, who's 86 years old, uh, had, had cataracts. So, so we were, I was helping, helping arrange to get those cataracts, um, you know, medically removed. And um, I was in the doctor's office, and while I was there, I looked at the doctor's wall, as you do, you know, and looked at certifications and all of that, just how, you know, per perusing the office. And I saw this big picture of the doctor and a big team of people, shining faces, smiling faces, you know, and they, I said, you know, wow. And I asked the doctor, I said, what are those? He goes, oh, that's the, that's the team of doctors and, and nurses and technicians. We go out to the Dominican Republic every year and do eye surgeries for the people that need it, need it there because they don't have any facilities or the means to get to get their eyes fixed. And I said, well, I would really be interested to do something like that. So I, I looked up the website, Voluntary Health Program, and I, I applied, you know, and uh, they called me 
and we interviewed and they says, Michael, what, what is this? Can you help us with? Do you have any medical experience with eye surgery? And I says, no, I don't have any medical experience, but I sure have a lot of experience with logistics. I'm a pretty good organizer. What do you need help with? And they says, oh, God, our, our warehouse is like mesh. We don't know what we have, what we need. There's no organization over there. It's just chaos when we get there to set up. I says, well, I think I can help you with that. Hmm. And that's what I did. I run their warehouse for them in the Dominican Republic. I set that thing up like a Navy ship, like a Walgreens. <laughs> you go down that aisle, you're going to find what you need. Especially hmm. when that doctor and has that patient on the operating table and he needs a lens for that cataract. You don't want to waste any time looking in a box to find it. you got to have, you only have seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I set that place up and these people took me into their family. They embraced what I had done, and every year they invite me now. And I put it on my calendar. Every year in March, we go back, and we they do over 2,000 surgeries over there. And wow. believe me, if you haven't seen a small boy who hasn't been able to read a book since he was born because he's cross-eyed, walk out of that operating room and be able to see again, that would lift your spirits higher than you can imagine. Yeah, And the dedication that I saw in those surgeons, and these are the best surgeons in the country that go, they are tireless. You can't get them out of that operating room. They need to finish what they can because there are lines and lines of people waiting. So it is a wonderful, wonderful organization of people that give back voluntarily we pay for everything we, we, we buy our flight we pay for our food we pay for the, the, the lodging that they give us but it all it is absolutely the most rewarding thing i've ever done in my life well how you know you know you said you guys pay for all that the organization does so how do they do that what do they do they have fundraising how could people help with it actually all of the medical supplies all medical supplies for the surgeries are donated by doctors, hospitals. It's all donated. Okay. And then each of the each of the of the team, doctors, uh, nurses, technicians, we pay fly over there. Not much from New York, about four hundred dollars. We pay about thirty dollars a day for food and board that they they offer us little bungalows. Yeah. And they cook us meals, you know, and it's really, really reasonable. But it's it's not about the money. It's 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 about looking at those people that are helpless. That are helpless, you know, that yeah. can't afford to have it, don't have the means to do it. And when we come in to see those hundreds and hundreds of people waiting in line, it's just that you can't do enough of them, you know, you don't have enough time in the day. You wish you had more enough time in the day to continue. But it's 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 really wonderful, and I totally encourage anyone that doesn't matter what you do, they can they'll they'll take anybody. I've had stewardesses that work over there washing washing the medical instruments. Hmm. We've had engineers coming in helping with intake, you know, with the patients. So it's wonderful. You know something? I, it, it sounds like you know I can tell you really get kind of emotional when you talk about it. Oh and, boy. You know, I can I can understand that because, you know, I still remember an incident 
So when I was in Desert Storm and I was with 2nd Armored Cav and we were set up in an area after the ground fighting and there were a lot of Iraqi refugees out in the desert and they were coming by looking for help. They were women and children and <clears throat> this this one Iraqi mother came up to our concertina wire fence and had a bundle in her arm and it was a young child and the young child was covered with I, I didn't know what it was whether it was measles or whatever it was at the time so of course you know, we went and got one of our medics and he came out to the wire and he walked out and he looked at the child and we got one of our interpreters from our intelligence unit that was there and uh after he came back you know he came and told us he goes yeah he said that that poor child is eat up with measles and he said you know of course we can't do anything here so we had to direct them to the red cross camp further down you know further down but you know i still remember the look on that that lady's face because she had that child who was sick and you know i'm sure it was her child and there was nothing she could do and she was just looking for help and, and you know i i still when I when I start thinking about and you're talking about those types of things that pops back into my head and that same that same look, you know, or that same emotion comes up where, you know, you've seen something like that and, and you know, you want to try and do something to help and you got to you want to find a way to do it. And it sounds like your organization is definitely doing that. Um, because I know they had organizations that would go into places <clears throat> and the doctors would go in and repair, you know, cleft chins and lips and things on children. And, you know, so now you have an organization like the Voluntary Health Program trying to help children who, who are having, you know, trouble with their eyes. And, um, you know, it just sounds like you're really passionate about it. So can people go to the website, though, and find out how to help or you know, go to the VHP? Yeah. Yeah. If they go ahead and, and Google the phone. I'm sorry, I didn't have the exact um, link, but it is the Voluntary Health Program. And they, they go all over the world. This particular one that's uh, originated here in New York is going to the Dominican Republic. And it's uh, every year they've been doing it for 25 years. Yeah. So they started very small, and it's it grown, grown, grown. And the, really, the wonderful thing is the same people are coming back every year. You know, the same doctors, the same nurses. Yeah. It's like it's something they, they want to do. It's, it's that thing about what do, you, what do you give back? What do you give back to society, to someone that doesn't have? The gift yeah. of sight, what, what more? What more precious gift? To give uh, uh, an old 80 or 90 year old or 80 year old woman or man that has double cataracts and can't see. Yeah. You know. Give them that. Give them that gift again. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's good. It sounds like a really, really, really worthy program. So, you know, I'm going to encourage all, all of our listeners to to look look up the voluntary health program go to the website if you're interested look and see if there's something you can do um you know there may be a way that you could join and help and maybe run into mike next time he goes to the dominican did you got were you guys able to go this past march i would imagine yeah that the COVID and actually, what, actually what's interesting was we had just finished up right at the 15th and we were worried about having to be able to fly back into new york because okay. that's when New York shut down the airport. So we had heard of it 
we heard it there about the problems and um i came back right at the very very beginning of the epidemic of the pandemic so yeah we, yeah we made the mission we did everything but it was scary on the way back that they were going to close that border down yeah so you're looking forward to going back next year right i am i am it, it, it's <laughs> the thing is you know i've got you know it's my own time but it is you know i, I can't i can't there's no equal for it i yeah. can't translate it you know it, it's immeasurable so i do it heck yeah i do it yeah yeah you sound passionate about it well mike let me let me just ask you this before we wrap up you know it, you've got a lot of background a lot of experience um if you had a message to share with our veterans today take a minute and tell tell them what that message would be you know i thought about this all day today and i think the biggest message i can tell them is that love each other take care of each other communicate with each other but don't, not just communicating by talking listen learn to listen with your ears with your eyes and with your heart hmm. do that for each and every one that's in your life veteran or not okay yeah that's it's pretty profound message and and you know what i agree i mean you know we got to stick together not only as veterans but just as people Yep. And I think, you know, we all deserve that, you know, that treatment and that chance. Mike, I'll tell you what, I, I really want to thank you for coming on the program today and for sharing your experiences and sharing your programs that have your passion, you know, giving back to those veterans and those people that you feel that you want to give back to and help. You know, it's just very noteworthy the things that you're doing so i'm going to encourage our listeners to go and look look to the websites you know look to the voluntary health program you know go to look at the music conservatory and the music tutor programs that, that mike's been talking about and see if there's something there especially for you veterans that'll help you because we encourage you to do that so mike thank you so much for appearing on the show this evening and Absolutely. for you and for you veterans who are out there, again, I want to remind you just very quickly one more time about the, the VA burn pit registry currently on the VA website. They're, they're trying to get everyone who qualifies to register for the burn pit registry. If you go on there, you'll see the qualifications, various deployment areas and dates. They're asking you to come on there, fill out the questionnaire and register because they want to make sure they have all of your information. So I'm encouraging you to use the website here on the bottom of the screen and go and register for the VA burn pit registry. So again, please make sure you do that for you veterans out there. All right, well, thank you for listening to the WGSN DB Going Solo Networks Veterans Corner. I'm your host, Paul Holbert. Again, live from Northern Virginia. Veterans, we want to thank you for your service, and we hope to inspire you to live your best life. And hopefully we will see you again on our next show, two Thursday nights from now. So thank you very much, everyone, and have a great evening. Thank you for listening to the WGSN-DB Going Solo Network. 
You are listening to the Going Solo Veterans Corner, and we hope you enjoy the show. Going Solo Veterans Corner strives to connect veterans, bringing awesome guests with helpful info, which will keep you and your families better informed. We want to thank you for your service, and we hope to inspire you to live your best life. Today's show was hosted by retired Army First Sergeant Paul Holbert, and we invite you to visit his author's site at theliteraryvet.net and WGSNDB Going Solo Network at goingsolomedia.com for more information.